I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. And we are so excited to be here today with Angie Kim. And and, uh, I'm going to read you her bio. Um, but she, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start there. I'm like, I'm like a little disorganized. I didn't realize. <laughs> okay. Yeah, people have started using quarantine brain as a phrase. Oh, that, that was, oh, yes, totally. yeah. yeah. I've, I've yeah. done many, many posts with quarantine brain with like hashtag quarantine brain or like brain like mm. a sieve, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's definitely at least a good a good foil but <laughs> let's say that's the reason um <laughs> all right angie kim is the author of the national bestseller miracle creek named a best book of the year by time the washington post kirkus real simple library journal the today show amazon and hudson booksellers and a good morning america hot summer read so not that impressive. <laughs> um, she is one of Variety Magazine's 10 storytellers to watch and has written for Vogue, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Glamour, Salon, and Slate. She moved from Seoul, Korea to Baltimore as a preteen and attended Stanford University and Harvard Law School, where she was an editor of the Harvard Law Review, prompting us to look up <laughs> Obama. <laughs> but no... Yeah, he, yeah, was actually, he was there he was actually well he was we actually overlapped one year so his class of the law review was the one that chose mine so there oh, you go wow. yeah that's yeah. awesome that's a, that's a good you should put that in in your bio yeah. <laughs> right. and my husband was actually in his class and they played <sighs> basketball together so there you go <gasps> that is yeah. very exciting very fun well i'm yeah. sort of done with all of my personal goals i've met someone who know, who's met someone who's one met degree. Obama. there we go one degree so that's it <laughs> um a formal former trial lawyer she now lives in northern virginia with her husband and three sons and is, and is at work on her next novel so welcome angie hi thank you so much for having me i'm so glad to be here quarantine brain and all Um, So we as we start with what are you working on and um, let's go to Angie Powers. Well, in brief, I am actually trying to launch a sort of late night esque YouTube series because everybody in late night right now has such low production value going into what they're producing. I feel like I could do that. And then you realize, oh no, they also still have 12 writers. They still have, you know, someone else doing all the editing and I'm doing everything. And special effects. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's still fun. It may be overly ambitious. It's something to do. Yes. That sounds great. I can't, I can't wait to see it. (laughs) Um, And I am, uh, waiting to hear back from my agent. (laughs) And, um, We have yeah, the, so can I, we but say I, that? Can we say that we, we have, have the same, same agent? Yeah. Yes, I think yeah. it's kind of exciting. I love that. I love yeah, Susan. She's like one of my favorite people. She's amazing. Yeah. She is amazing. And she is like right in the, in you know, in New York. She's in New York right yeah. now. So we're... Yeah thinking of her and um yeah so she so that so I'm pivoting to a different project um yeah and that's to try to stay sane basically yeah how about you Angie Kim um so I am trying really this week to get back into actually writing 
I feel like I've been not writing. Um, I'm relatively new to writing anyway. So I started writing in my 40s. And so I don't really have that much experience like being a writer and knowing what that means. But I feel like for the longest time, it was just like, you know, writing, like the act of writing. <laughs> and then, for, and then you know, with a book, uh, with my first novel coming out, I feel like for two years there, I was just like touring and talking to people and now doing a lot of virtual events for my paperback that just came out, stuff like that. And so I haven't actually written other than like little essays and interviews and stuff in so long, in like a couple of years. So I, I'm really trying to get back to writing my and working on my second novel this week. Like as soon as we're done with this, that's what I'm going to go do. Hopefully. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and are you, are you, um, you're sheltering in place. Are your kids at home with you? Yes. I have three boys, um, 11, 16 and 18. The 18 year old is, you know, just decided, like made a decision on colleges. And so, but he just finished high school, no graduation. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So that seems like a great milestone, but unfortunately it's a little subdued right now, but um, yeah, but they're all here. And, um, and they're all fighting over Wi-Fi and streaming and who gets the Xbox and blah, blah, blah. It's, yeah, it's, it's been ridiculous. <laughs> it really lends that kind of writer retreat feeling. And, and just really quickly, um, since you're on sort of your, your paperback tour, and as you mentioned, it's virtual. I mean, the book came, the paperback came out the beginning of April, right? Yeah, yeah. It was April, I think, seventh or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah. how is that? How has that been different from your hardback, really? <laughs> yeah. So, for, yeah. I mean, for hardback, I, you know, I was like on planes and going all over the country and doing like one book festival after another, and which was really, really fun. And um, I loved that. And I loved actually meeting other writers because I really didn't have that community beforehand you know so it was really a great time and I'm glad that I got to do that because I there's something about like the face-to-face like going drinking together and going to dinners and you know having those late nights and stuff that just lends itself to bonding and really trusting each Mm -hmm. other and so now I'm doing a lot of these paperback events um, via virtual and what's interesting is that so many of the um, big, you know, writing festivals have been canceled or postponed, you know, for like six months and stuff like that. But at the same time, I feel like a lot more indie bookstores are reaching out for virtual events. So like yeah. for the paperback, I'm not sure that I was going to visit that many indie bookstores throughout the country. But now I've like, I've done so many of these virtual, I've done like 30 or something in the last month. And I feel like I really have gotten to know some of these booksellers, which is so wonderful. So I'm, I'm actually glad that I had that sort of weird mix of, you know, like virtual stuff and uh, face-to-face stuff from last year. So it's been good for me. Yeah. That is the bizarro silver lining moments, right? Right. Sometimes there's these things that you'd, didn't think would be an opportunity and it turns out that way I was um sort of curious just uh about how because 
how did your legal writing training hmm, like the actual into, writing yeah. this is this is a legal thriller in many ways but but the actual like writing part of legal writing yeah yeah it's it's hilarious because I never really thought of myself as a writer at all um you know because legal writing I think is hard and there are certain parts of legal writing that lend them that lends itself to sort of storytelling you know like if you're working on the opening statement in front of the jury or um, or even in a brief to the judge, you know, you are trying to tell a story with a certain slant to it, but it's very argumentative and it's not like free. You can't just make stuff up, even though a lot of people accuse <laughs> lawyers of doing just that. Um, and so to me, the writing part of being a lawyer and being a business person like did not lend itself to did not train me at all for creative writing um so being a writer is actually my fifth career so I went from being a trial lawyer to being a management consultant and then a dot-com entrepreneur during like the 2000s and then I was a stay-at-home mom yay and then I was a stay-at-home mom for a long time and then I finally started writing about 10 years ago in my 40s so it was almost like I had to sort of train myself as a total novice writer like I had the grammar and things like that down I've copy edited before but as far as like you know knowing what a character arc is or you know uh, learning about the importance of not using cliches like I didn't even know what that meant really it's so mm-hmm. interesting so it's it, it, in a way it's like using the English language but in such a different way that I consider it a totally different thing and the courtroom scenes that are in Miracle Creek my novel um, there aren't that many of them, but the ones that are there, it was so fun for me because it was so easy to write because that like just writing lines of dialogue and like questions to ask witnesses does not feel like writing to me. And I am a very angsty writer and I write really slowly. But when it came to the courtroom scenes, I was like, oh, this is easy. I don't have to worry about word choice or like rhythm or whatever. I'm just going to go. And so I just like wrote and wrote and wrote. It was totally hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. I also wondered if the kind of the logic of legal thinking might have helped because I'm working on a book that's sort of psychological suspense and it's been very challenging to get the emotional logic right and the and the causality and I wanted to ask you so I sort of one you know yes like how did legal thinking help you but but even more than that just like what was your process Uh, did you know right away who had done it did you how did you figure out the logic and did you have to sort of struggle and and refine it oh yeah no I totally had to struggle so I am I'm not a plotter. I'm a pantser. Um, I am very much of a, you know, like you have to sit down and, you know, I have to sort of meditate and I have to sort of let the universe like enter my soul or whatever. Guys, very legalese. (laughs) Not at all legalese. Um, And um, so to me, Miracle Creek is a who done it, why done it, how done it of sorts. It's a mystery uh, in some ways, but I did not know who did 
the thing, who set the fire, which is what starts the whole novel. I did not know that or how or why until, I don't know, maybe a year into the writing process. Um, wow. So about halfway through the first draft writing. Um, so I, I think actually my training for uh, fiction writing came more from my theater background than my legal background. So bef- when in high school, I went to this performing school and I was a theater major. And so for Wait, like what five, school? Oh, Interlocking Arts Academy in Michigan. My my aunt taught there, Tierra oh. Gilb. I wonder if she would have taught you. I think uh, it might have been a little after. What um what uh class or what she department? Taught flute. Oh, okay. No, I would never yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was actually a double major with piano too, but not flute. I think I had like lots of violin and cello friends, but not flute. Um, but, uh, I, so I spent like five hours every day, like, you know, on my back, like thinking of characters and thinking what my character was thinking, like a lot of method acting, improvisation. And I feel like that's what I do with my novel. So there are seven point of view characters in my novel and each chapter has a different, yeah, no, each chapter has a different (laughs) character. And so before each chapter, I would take like a good week, like just basically not writing, but just sort of like inhabiting that character or trying to. And so it sort of became my method writing kind of process. Mm-hmm. And so that I think to me more than anything on the legal side really helped. And how did your kids feel about inhabiting a house with seven different people they've never met? <laughs> Well, there I always wrote when they were in the middle, of, you know, when they were at school. So I would remember when they, they used to leave home. the house to go to school. I know, <laughs> I know. I can't believe those days. It seems like I can't decide whether it's surreal now or just like thinking of back then is surreal. You know what I mean? Like I don't know what's normal anymore because we're in such a transition. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the open the first um the it's sort of a prologue um is in first person and then it goes yes. into this omniscient third close third to, with the, the moving from among the different characters. Did you write right. it in all in first person at first with that method acting or no I yeah I took about six months before I even started drafting the novel in earnest to basically write in first person from all the different characters' perspectives, like just, you know, by hand, uh, pre-writing, diary style, in order to just get to know mm-hmm. the characters and like what they're like and things like that. So I did that. But then once I started writing, um, for whatever reason, just the first chapter came to me as a first person. And I sort of thought, I would change it to third person at some point, but everything else I wrote in third person, including that character that I started in first person. And I would have, I think, changed it third person, even that first chapter. But the opening line is, my husband asked me to lie. And I sort of just like really love that line just because of thematically, it really, I think, sort of sets up the whole novel and, it is really what the novel is about. And I just thought her husband asked her to lie, just did not have the same ring to it, you know? So yeah. I just kept, I decided to keep it as first person. Yeah. 
It's almost, yeah, yeah. it almost, it functions almost as a testimony, not the, not the testimony anyone would ever actually give, but like if somebody were to testify to the, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Right. Right. No, I really like um, that. That's great. Yeah. 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 Um, so then, so you wrote, so then you, you did all this exploration, then you launched in, you weren't, you hadn't plotted, you didn't, you, did you know, you didn't know at that point still who had done it? Right. I still didn't know who had done it. I knew that we were going to get to that point, you know, mm-hmm. that, so were I, you, mm-hmm. so were you trying to make sure everyone had a motive? Yeah, I did. I was trying to make sure that there were I, maybe like five, maybe four or five characters that are sort of legitimate suspects, I think, which is probably like Mm -hmm. more than half the cast. (laughs) So um, I I was trying to make sure that they did, um, or maybe I didn't, you know what? I think I built that in the motive um, for everybody in the red herrings. I think I did that more at the revision stage. I think in the, Mm -hmm. in the first drafting, I think I was just going through what happened because I was trying to find out myself. You know, and it was almost like I was asking these like ghostly people that seemed to be outside of my own existence to tell me what was happening, which sounds so ridiculous, but I'm sure you've heard stuff like this from other writers. But (laughs) yeah, so it was more just my trying to figure out what did happen. And uh, once I figured that out by virtue of having written it, the first draft, then I could go back and be like, okay, let's see if we can make this into a more fun structure and uh, make it more of a whodunit um, and all that mm-hmm. kind of good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, um, it, I would love to hear more about sort of your revision process in part because uh, one of the things that has always driven me is I, you know, I, I have an MFA, but it, like there were no revision classes. Right. And so because everyone's working on a really big project. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're like, well, what is that? Like so much of writing is revision. So how do you know now that you know who's done it? So that's one aspect of revision. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of capture the pieces that are important to you and um, decide, yes, this is a cut. This is a keep. Yeah, I think to me, a lot of revision is cutting. Um, so the first draft that I had was like 145,000 words. And then um, people told me, well, like before you send it out to agents, especially since it was like blind queries and so it was going to be in a slush pile, um, I figured that I, I should try to get it down to like 115, 110, something like that. Which So I did do that. And, um, and then once I got to my agent or our agent, Elizabeth, uh, Susan was like, oh, you know, these three, these two other characters that don't have POVs, they really fascinate me. I feel like you should add a couple of chapters from each of their perspectives. So I was like, oh, okay. So I did that. And then, so then it became like 140,000 words again. And then I had to Wait, cut it I, back down. Who were they? Which, would, it, would, it be a, would it be a spoiler to say which ones you added? It probably would. So I'll, I'll okay, text we'll you that later. It. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and um, so, so then I had to cut back again. Um, from like 140 down to 110. And then my editor, you know, and then we sold it. And then my editor 
was like, you know, I think we should do blah, blah, blah. I forget what she said. Oh, I, I think she was the one who said we should add in more red herrings and make it more plausible that more people could have done it to sort of, you know, up the suspense elements of it and the mystery yeah. elements. And then by the time I did that, it became like 140,000 words again. And so then I had to like cut it back again to a hundred. So it's like mm-hmm. cutting, but I love cutting. So even going from like 140 to 115, that's what, like 30% or something like that. So I had this spreadsheet and I really like to work uh, chapter by chapter. Um, mm-hmm. And I like writing one chapter at a time, even for the first draft. I just really like making that chapter or the first paragraph, like just really solid and like just something that I'm really happy with at the sentence level, you know, for all the sentences in that before I can move on to the next one. Um, but so I had done a lot of work, I felt like, on the sentence level. But in any case, so I would take... Which makes it harder to cut in a way. It really does. But then you (laughs) really have to. Then when you take something that you feel like you've actually really polished and then you have to cut it down further, it's hard, but it's actually really fun. So I love, so I would make it almost like a game, like a video game for myself. So I had like an Excel spreadsheet and I would be like, okay, chapter one has this many words in it. And so the goal is blah, blah, blah. And so that means if you break it down by page or by line, I have to get rid of two words per line on average. <laughs> and you know what I mean? So it was really I love it. So it really required me to think very deeply about what can I do to get rid of the extraneous words and what's a word that I can use to capture this adverb and the verb and maybe even a little bit of the adjective too you know what I mean and like when I would find that it would be like okay I'm gonna make myself a martini to celebrate because this is just (laughs) so great and then I felt so proud of myself and then if ever there was like a paragraph that I felt like you know what that's basically saying the same thing that she thought two paragraphs ago and I could get rid of pretty much the whole thing except for like one line I would be like beside myself with joy so with these little so I made it I think into these manageable chunks and then I it was just such a celebratory joyous way of cutting and editing that I just now love revising of any kind because I'm just like oh let me add them like and my, my kid, when he was working on college essays, I remember he was like, okay, I have this college essay that I did. Let's say it was 600 words. And he was like, this other college, it's the same question, but they're only giving me a 400 word limit. And I feel like, oh my God, I am so good at this. <laughs> Let me help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did your kid take you up on that? Yeah, you know, he. I think he thought that I was going to change things, but I didn't. I just, I read it and I was like, you know, this is your essay. And I certainly gave, tried right. to give him feedback, but, you know, kids will fight you on that. So, no, I, I didn't really try to change it. I just, I just said, like, for example, and then I would show him for one paragraph how I could basically right. keep the meaning 
and just make it so much tighter. But then mm-hmm. we cut out like 50 words from, you know, from one paragraph. And then he was like, how did you do that? And so, you know, and I did it in front of him so that he could hopefully learn. Um, and yeah. I think it, it became fun for him too. So, yeah. And then did you say, go get me a martini after he, <laughs> you did that first, well, you know, I demonstrated want... passed on the skill, go get me a martini. No, I, I basically yeah. said like, let me go, go make myself a martini because I don't want him to touch. I don't want him having an excuse to touch the vodka. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Also, I don't know, like, if I don't know what kind of change you think is going to come over children in five years from now, but I don't think they're going to be like, let me just go and help make you a drink for anything. For anything. (laughs) (laughs) I stand corrected. It's a fantasy. So that's fantastic. I mean, and and so you were talking about like getting started today, later today, right after this conversation. Feel like your process um, will change at all, having been through that kind of revision. You know, I don't think so. I think I really believe in that process. Um, but mm-hmm. again, that was that was my first novel, so who knows um, what this one's going to be like? I've heard a lot about the sophomore slump, which makes me really worried and anxious. Um, as if I weren't anxious enough already <laughs> about just other things. And so I'm, I'm a little scared um, of tackling the second novel. And then people have always said, well, just go back to your process. And I'm just like, well, mm-hmm. so I feel like what I'm doing now is I'm trying to figure out what my process was. So I'm, that's almost why I can tell you exactly what I did, because I've gone back to my files and I've been like, okay, what did I do? What did I do for this first novel? Because I can't remember anymore. And I do right. want to follow that process because I feel like something went right with that in that I'm happy with the mm-hmm. novel that I ended up with. It's but, gorgeous. Yeah. Oh, thank you. But I do also feel like I shouldn't, it's almost like I'm trying so hard to recreate that, that I'm afraid that I'm sort of shooting myself in the foot a little. So I don't know. Your process sounds so great. The flip side of loving editing is that you can't, what you want to do now is like write a big baggy exploratory draft, right? So you can kind of not worry about it in the drafting because you know, like you just want like all that clay or whatever to. That's true. Yeah. No, that's true. Yep. And and don't let people's statements about sophomore slumps get you down. <laughs> you know, when you're, okay. when you're in a global pandemic, it totally counteracts any sophomore curse. So okay. you've, you've already okay. done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, cool. Before before we wrap up, do you have any writing advice that you would offer people who are, you know, where you were 10 years ago and, you know, beginning this journey? Um, yeah. So one thing that I tell people about writing books Uh, and book length projects is I started small. So I started with essays and short stories and really polishing those and revising and revising and editing and workshopping and all of that sort of stuff. And then reading all the little literary magazines that you've never heard of and really getting to know them really well and then submitting pain and rejection, all that kind of stuff. So I feel, and then, you know, finally working with an editor and seeing your work there. I just feel like there's something to that process that is so important um, and valuable to the craft of writing and publishing. 
um, that I would really encourage people, even people who are like, I know exactly what novel I want to write. I, I always ask them like, so what short work, like what shorter things have you written and published? Because I feel like that prepares you in a way um, that just writing lots of novels um, before actually getting them published can help you with. So if you are working on a book length project and you haven't done that, I would encourage you to, you know, during one of the break periods to actually tackle that and see what that's like, because I think that's so valuable. And I also think from like having talked to Susan, our agent, that that having those credentials can also help you like to get you out of the slush pile. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. And just going back to like all the skills that you have around revision, you know, again, having something manageable to work with, to start learning and mastering those skills. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that. It is time for steal this. Amateur yeah. poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? <laughs> and we can start if you would like, or you can start. What would you? You, you, guys, want to you guys start because I want to see. All right. I, I want to. <laughs> well, I actually already used the opening of your book um, in one of my classes to teach. Uh, you know, in my craft class, I, I pull. Pr- prompts from published work and I thought that opening that you that you actually pointed out um my husband asked me to lie not a big lie he probably didn't even consider it a lie and neither did I at first it was such a small thing what he wanted right and that that whole opening is so wonderful and um and I think it teaches us something about suspense too because Mm -hmm. the character is kind of engaged in the moral question about the lie right she's sort of sort of acknowledging like this happened and it wasn't really a big thing and and but of course the reader desperately wants to know like what 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 did he ask what why (laughs) why did he it raises all these wonderful questions and I think there's an art especially in in suspense to what you give and what you withhold Mm -hmm. and how you do it through the authenticity of the character the character isn't being coy she's just a little hooked on the the moral issue as yeah. one would be versus the why how whatever because she knows that part yeah so I, I like that it just it helps me think about how to how to do suspense oh that's great thank you that's awesome <laughs> and um well I've been reading a lot about sort of intentional juxtaposition for comedy oh, so cool. really thinking about how well you know there's a so I, I've loved comedy forever and then um, anyways and I did some stuff on comedy uh, humor theory but one of the big ones is called incongruence incongruency theory right so you have this one expectation and you get this other one and that's why we have those triplets triplets work so well right yeah um, how's it triplet? like we were just watching Tina Fey on Saturday Night Live like the right. more recent one yeah and she's like you know, Here's some tips. If you're out of flour, you can always substitute, go back to bed, (laughs) you know? And so you have this like set up and then the the juxtaposition. So yeah, giving yourself time to actually like, it feels so off the cuff, but the truth is she probably had seven or eight other options for, for, you know, what's going on in quarantine. People are hoarding flour. 
people are doing this and that, and then juxtaposing that. So that's what I'm really thinking about. That's this awesome. Week. I love that. That's great. <laughs> okay. So, so Angie, how much? Yeah. So I, I feel like I try to steal stuff all the time, um, especially being relatively new to writing. Um, I feel like a lot of my short stories, I would like read other people's and be like, Oh, I want to, and then I would keep that with me and try to borrow the voice. I feel like it's the voice more than anything else. So um, I didn't actually end up going with this, but for the longest time, my the opening of Miracle Creek was the pounding. It's the pounding I remember most. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, the mom, sort of, you know, uh, the, the uh, owner um, who is the, the narrator who eventually ended up saying, my husband asked me to lie. Um, just, and I ended up sort of pushing that to later in the scene. But the reason I had that as the opening is because I love Russell Banks, the sweet hereafter. And I love the structure Mm. of that. You know, you have a tragedy, a bus accident, and then four characters in four, you know, big parts of the novel tell their story of the aftermath of that. And I just love that structure. And for some time, I thought that that's how I might structure Miracle Creek. But the beginning of that, um, that novel is the bus driver. And I might get this wrong. I wish I had this in front of me. But she says something like, a dog. It's a dog I saw for sure or thought I saw. And I just thought, I just love that rhythm of it. And just the intriguing and knowing that, you know, from the back jacket that it's, you know, a bus accident and the bus driver saying it's a dog, you know, like, so you're just like, oh, mm. and so, um, so it was almost like a rhythmic homage that I made mine be the pounding. It's the pounding I remember most, like it has that same mm. sort of rhythm. And so, yeah. Interesting. I almost yeah. think that there's like, there's even in the, my husband asked me to lie. It's not quite the same rhythm, but, um, but it has, there's something related yeah, to definitely, that. Too. Definitely. Yeah. And it's also that first person intimacy too. Like they're confessing something to the reader, you know, that they're not really supposed to be. Which yeah. I think so do you intimacy. feel like your next novel, you think your next novel will be in pentameter? just to keep the challenge there right right, 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 right. (laughs) um so um so so miracle creek is now available in paperback yes and um where can people where's the best place for people to find you and find it and yeah so i'm on um instagram um, under Angie Kim ASK, those are my initials, and then in Twitter on Angie Kim Writer, um, and my website is angiekimbooks.com. Although I'm really bad at, I haven't updated it in like a year. <laughs> it's um, really beautiful. Though. Oh, that's um, right, because it didn't even your bio doesn't even say that you won the Edgar. I oh, forgot to add that right. in. Yeah. <laughs> postscript <laughs> congratulations thank you thank you and um and as far as my book you can find it in lots of different indie stores many of which are delivering Yay. for free and locally and curbside deliveries i highly encourage that but it's also at the you know usual suspect audible amazon all that kind of stuff so 
Thank yeah, you. but this is such a great time to to pivot to your local independent bookstore if you haven't, and to get them to ship it to do yeah curbside pickup. So oh, many definitely. great things. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. in fact, yesterday, um, Scrawl Books, which is a indie bookstore that's closest to me, they um, emailed me and they said, you know, we have some um, orders, and they are such good customers. We'd love for you to sign them. We can bring it by your house. Uh... So she brought it by my house. And I put on gloves and, you know, and she had a mask on and she stayed 30 feet away from me. And I, we were outside in my, um, in my driveway and I was signing books for this bookstore. So we're all, they're so, indie bookstores will do stuff like that. And I just am so indebted. I'm so grateful to them for keeping things going, you know, and just keeping that love love of reading alive at this time. So please, please um, go to that. Go, go to your local. That is fantastic. Isn't that That's a great thing for all of them to do. Like, um, yeah, with the, with local authors. So what is that bookstore called? It's called Scrawl. 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 Yeah. S-C-R-A-W-L in Western Virginia. I'll, I'll put, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes because maybe oh. if people want a signed copy, oh, they thank can go you. There. That would yeah. be amazing. Yes, I'm sure they would love yeah. that. Yeah, thank you. That's very cool. Yeah, well, it's just so great to talk to you thank and you very so, inspiring. So much. Yeah, and thank uh, you congratulations so much. on the, the book, which is fabulous, and everyone should pick it up. It's a perfect read for right now. We did. There's so much we didn't even get into. I mean, it it's, it it grapples with so many deep themes around motherhood and around special needs and around immigration, and but it's also a legal thriller and suspense. I mean, it's just it's a it's a great substantive yet completely propulsive read that is perfect mm. for right now. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Elizabeth. And Angie, I'm so excited to um, see your YouTube stories. It's going to be so fun. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Good luck writing. Okay. Thanks.